Our scripture passage today is in 1 Peter chapter 4, be reading verses 9 through 11. And uh, so when you find 1 Peter chapter 4, keep your finger there for a minute, because you just have to love this time of year. You know, the, the gatherings for Thanksgiving and then Christmas coming up, yummy food, friends and family together, the giving of receiving gifts, all the things that go along, the, the excited and excitable kids, uh, Christmas carols, white Christmases, and now it just starts snowing really neatly. Now as I'm talking about this. And so, so decorations and lights, nostalgic memories. And when it comes to the holiday season, those with the spiritual gifts that we're going to be talking about this morning are in their element. They're in the groove, as it were. And even though it's not just the holidays that those with these gifts bless other people with, with that serve others with their giftedness, the holidays give them a wonderful opportunity to uniquely serve and minister. So we're going to be looking this morning at the spiritual gifts of hospitality, giving, and then the gift of craftsmanship and the arts. And these, along with the gifts of, of mercy, helps, and service, are considered the service gifts. So in the fourth chapter of Peter's first letter, he simply divides the spiritual gifts into two categories. There's speaking gifts and then there's service gifts. And so beginning at uh, verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as the one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season of the year. And all that it means, especially when it comes to giving gifts and serving one another and helping others. And, and Father, we are saddened that what the world has made it out to be. Things like Turkey Day and Black Friday, leaving Jesus out of all their celebrations. Where it seems that it's all about material things and avarice and getting the best deals. There can be way too much hustle and bustle, way too much stress and anxiety. And so, Father, as we open your word this morning and see how you have gifted some of your children with these precious and wonderful gifts by which they bless and serve others, we pray that we all will have a blessed and joyous season as we discover what, we, what a blessing we can be to one another. And this we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter wrote, whoever speaks, the speaking gifts are the more upfront ministries which are expressed vocally, preaching and teaching, music, exhortation, encouragement. Then he says, whoever serves, and the service gifts are those that are more behind the scenes where, where believers serve one another in the way that God has gifted them to serve. So this morning we have the service gifts part two, which goes back to two weeks ago, because two weeks ago we looked at the service gifts of mercy, helps, and service, and this morning, we begin with the gift of hospitality. Hospitality. Now, the spiritual gift of hospitality is not specifically listed in the three particular lists of the gifts in the New Testament. You'll find them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
Uh, Romans chapter 12, there's two 12s and then there's two 4s. And then there's Ephesians 4 where there's the other list. And in those three lists, hospitality is not listed. But as we read in 1 Peter chapter 9 where it says here, right after Peter writes, Be hospitable to one another without complaint, Peter immediately continues, As each one has received a spiritual gift. And so the grammar, the Greek grammar of the sentence here, I was going to try to say juxtaposition, I got it out, <laughs> the juxtaposition of the, of the sentence is suggestive that it could be paraphrased, use hospitality just as all Christians have received any other spiritual, spiritual gifts. And as we look at the gift of hospitality, we see that it really is a, a spiritual gift. Now all of us are to practice hospitality, but some of you are gifted spiritually by the Holy Spirit in this. The word translated hospitality literally means love of strangers. Love of strangers. It comes from the Greek word philo, which means love, and xenos, which means strangers. It's very similar to the word Philadelphia. Love of what? Brothers. Brotherly love. This is philo xenos, which is love of strangers. So what is love of strangers? In the time that the Bible was written, it was way more common to invite a stranger into your home. Inns were scarce. Travel was long by foot. The trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, for example, was 80 miles by foot or riding on a donkey. That's a long time to ride on a donkey. And so understandably, people in Jesus' time would have needed a place to stay as they, as they traveled. Housing complete strangers for a night was common. Uh, back east in colonial days, especially colonial Massachusetts and in that area, people would build a house. They would build a guest room in their house because they knew that people would be passing through and staying. The interesting thing was that the guest house, guest room, the guest room could be locked from the rest of the house and then there was an outside entrance for people. So you trust strangers only so far, but at least they were loving strangers by that room was always open for people to stay there. And so housing complete strangers for a night uh, was more common than it is today. But we do see an example of hospitality in Acts chapter 16, the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, the ninth verse. In Acts chapter 16, the missionary team of, of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and Luke had been on a long journey, a missionary journey. And it says right before this that they passed through the Galatian region, that would be modern-day Turkey today, and it says the Holy Spirit prevented them from speaking the word there. Now, we don't know how the Holy Spirit did that, but God stopped them from speaking the word of Christ, the gospel, in the, in the Galatian region. So they tried to go farther north, and the Spirit of Jesus prevented them. So they came to the seashore at Troas, which is on the, the western seashore of the Mediterranean Sea, Troas. And we pick it up in verse 9 of Acts chapter 16. Paul Saul came, also came to Derby, or verse 9, excuse me. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Macedonia today is the northern part of Greece. They had Greece in that day, and then Macedonia is just north of it. It's part of Greece today. But then it was a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some time. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And she urged them to stay with her, and they, they did in her household. So Lydia, the first Christian convert in Europe, opened her heart up to the Lord Jesus Christ and then opened her home to Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Hospitality. Now Paul also mentions the hospitality of a man by the name of Gaius in Romans chapter 16. You don't need to turn to it. As Paul was writing to the Roman believers, Paul writes, he says, Gaius, host to me and to the whole church greets you. Host to me and to the whole church. The word translated host there is the same word xenos, which is translated strangers in other places. But here it means not so much to host strangers, but it means to host guest, to host a guest. Gaius hosted Paul as a guest in his home, and Paul says he also hosted the whole church as a guest in his home. Now, in that day, what did that mean? The church of Jesus Christ met in Gaius' home, and he hosted them weekly on a, daily, or on a, on a weekly basis in the church. So turn over to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13, the 12th chapter of Romans. Because here it shows us that all of us as believers are to practice hospitality towards one another. It's much like the spiritual gift of evangelists. Not all of us are gifted as evangelists. Timothy was not a gifted evangelist, so Paul told him to what? Do the work of an evangelist. And so we're not all gifted in hospitality, but we are what? All to practice hospitality. And so he says in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's Philadelphia's, Philadelphia, brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted in prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. And then it says, practice hospitality, philozenos. We are to be devoted to one another in love, Philadelphia. We are to practice the love of guests and strangers, philozenos. And so the spiritual gift of hospitality can be defined this way, and you'll find this in your, your outline this morning. The gift of hospitality, the special gift whereby the Holy Spirit enables certain Christians to open their homes willingly and offer lodging, food, and fellowship cheerfully to other people. The gift causes the believer to joyfully open his or her home for meetings and overnight visitors, making people feel welcome and comfortable. Guests and strangers are graciously served. 
So how do you know if you have the gift of hospitality? Well, I've got 10 questions that you can ask yourself. And uh, if, you're, if you kind of get a yes on several of these questions, you probably have the gift and you do have the gift of hospitality. Now, don't think you have to answer yes to all of these. But let's see if you can find yourself fitting here. Do you enjoy providing a haven for guests and not feel imposed upon by unexpected visitors? Do you have a knack for making strangers feel at ease in your home and at church? Are you sensitive to the acts of kindness which make people feel comfortable? Is your home usually open to people passing through who need a place to stay? Do you enjoy participating in church suppers or other events that welcome people to the church? Do people just love to hang out at your house? Is having people over something you love to do? Is your home a place of ministry? Do you enjoy planning parties and events? Do you enjoy hosting missionaries and other guest speakers at the church in your home? Now, my dad had the gift of evangelism, and my mom had the gift of hospitality. <laughs> now, that's quite, that's quite a combination. And I don't remember very, very many Sunday dinners when it was just our family. Uh, mom would often put a roast in the oven before we'd go to church, and she'd set the timer. And she'd wait till she got to church to see who she's going to invite uh, that Sunday. And the real blessing to me was that all of my friends, all the guys I ran around with, were always welcome in our home. I didn't have to ask mom to go to somebody else's house very often because the guys just gravitated to our house where they felt welcomed and loved. And they were welcome to stay for supper. And quite frankly, a couple of my friends wouldn't have had much supper if it hadn't been for our house. My friends were always comfortable hanging out at our house. And whenever there was a guest speaker at the church or there was a missionary or a choir from out of town, they stayed at our home. And I remember coming home from college one weekend unexpectedly, only to find that there were several young people from a choir from Azusa Pacific College who were staying at our house. So I had to sleep on the couch <laughs> for two nights. Can you imagine being home and not having your own room, not having your own stuff? I wasn't even allowed to go into my room. Mom said, you don't go in there. <laughs> you know, I should have stayed at college. After that, I always checked with mom before heading home. <laughs> but Christmas Eve at our house was the best place around. All the family, all our close friends spent Christmas Eve at the Slaybaws. And everyone was encouraged, every one of us, and I don't know if, if we're specifically encouraged or we just knew this was the thing to do, we would invite other people who would be alone for Christmas Eve. They could be fellow students, they could be people we worked with, they could be somebody from, from the church, and sometimes people would ask us, well, why did you invite me? And we said, well, that's just what slaybaws do. And so Christmas Eve, now it was all kinds of fun because when the cousins had a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they wanted to get to meet the family, uh, we would joke whether Christmas Eve was really the right night <laughs> to bring those, but it was, it was kind of fun. You know, if they just fit into what was going on, you know, we loved them and that's how we got to know all these other people. And, uh, you know, so that's just one example of the gift of hospitality. And that brings us to the spiritual gift of giving. Of giving. And we find the spiritual gift of giving mentioned in the list in Romans chapter 12, the eighth verse, right above just where we read, beginning at verse 9. But this time I'm going to begin at, at verse 6 of Romans chapter 12. It says, Since we have gifts that differ according 
to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The Greek word translated gives is two Greek words put together. It's metodidomai. It comes from didomai, which means to give, and then meta means among or, or with. And so you put the two words together, it means to give a portion of, to give a share of, to what God has given us. To give a portion of what God has blessed us with and give it to somebody else. And so the meaning of the word does not give any sense whatsoever of self-benefit, of gaining anything from the, the gift or any kind of payback. What is involved is simply unconditional giving. Unconditional giving. The Holy Spirit directs the giver to exercise the gift for the common good to help other people, and the giver obeys the message in the heart in such a manner as to draw no personal attention to oneself. Now, there's a temptation to connect the gift of giving with, with the wealthy, but that would be wrong. That would be an error because the poor can express the gift of the greatest, with the greatest effectiveness as well. Remember, the Lord Jesus Christ took special note of the poor widow who gave all that she had to live on to the temple treasury. Even though it was just two small coins, it was a gift that taught a lesson of the great importance about the sanctity of sacrificial giving. When I think of giving with liberality, I think of the example of the church in Philippi. We're back to Philippi again, where Paul and the rest of the missionary team had been hosted by Lydia. And to, to see that, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. A little bit of a Bible drill together as we see what God's Word says about these gifts. In the 8th chapter of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Paul is lifting up the Macedonians as an example of giving. And of course, Philippi was the principal city in Macedonia. And even though the believers in Philippi and the rest of the Macedonia were very poor, at one time, we know they were the only church that gave to support Paul in his missionary work. Plus, they had given a very large offering to support the suffering Christians in Jerusalem. Because of the persecution in Jerusalem and all that was going on there, uh, Paul, in his missionary journey, was gathering offering to take to, uh, to Jerusalem with him. And uh, most of the churches, as in the one in Corinth, they had already promised to give a lavish big gift, but they weren't coming through with it. So to encourage the Corinthians to give to the need in Jerusalem, as they had promised, Paul wrote to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, which include Philippi, then get this, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the sport of the saints. It's almost like Paul saying, no, no, that's too much, and they beg, please take it. And then that word participation is the word koinonia. 
They wanted to share in the missionary work and service of Paul and the, the other missionaries. And they begged, no, let us participate in this. And this, not as we ex- expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of, of God. Now, not all of us, now all of us, let me turn that around. All of us are expected to give willingly and cheerfully to the Lord's work. But when we give ourselves to the Lord, then we give ourselves to the Lord's work, we find that some believers are specially gifted by the Holy Spirit in their giving. So the spiritual gift of giving can be defined this way. The gift of giving, the special gift that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to contribute liberally and cheerfully, this kind of giving from material blessings is characterized by exceptional willingness. The believer is able to recognize God's blessings and to respond by generously and even sacrificially giving of one's material resources to support the Lord's work. So I want you to look at one more in in 2 Corinthians, this time in chapter 9, beginning at verse 6, the ninth chapter. Because here it says, Paul says, Now this I say, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to to God. And so here we see that, that basic principle, you will reap what you sow, God supplies and gives to us. We, in turn, take a portion of that and we give to others to his work to meet those needs. So God supplies the flow. We are used as channels of blessing to supply that need. And God just keeps so we giving so we can give with all liberality. And so we see several things here that are the key to the gift of giving. The first is attitude. If you have the gift of giving, you have the right attitude. The person with the gift of giving gives cheerfully and liberally. God loves a cheerful giver. And so the gift of giving does not give begrudgingly or with any kind of strings attached. The gift of giving gives willingly, unconditionally, and with a cheerful attitude. And those with the gift of giving find great joy in their giving and like to stay below the radar and give anonymously. And speaking of anonymous gifts, I just read this yesterday on, on one of the apps that uh, there, there was a waitress in Galveston, Texas. And this couple went in to eat in, the, in this restaurant, and they found out that she walked 14 miles one way, two hours one way to get to work, and two hours the other way 
to get home every day. And she was trying to save for college and trying to, to, to do this. And this couple, they went out and bought a 2001 Nissan, silver, in really good condition, brought it back, just gave her the keys and the title, and walked away. <laughs> and, of course, the news found about it. So there's pictures of her sitting in the Nissan, but we have no idea who gave that, that marvelous gift to her. And she said, now I can go to college sooner than I thought I would. And so secondly, those with the gift of giving give with perceptiveness. They recognize God's blessing in their own lives, and they also recognize the needs in others. They understand that God has blessed them, so primarily they can be a channel of blessing to others. They realize that if they have an abundance, if they have more than what they need for their own needs, if they have an abundance, the only reason that God has given them an abundance is so they can give it away. You know, that's really a basic biblical principle as well. The only reason we should ever have an abundance and only do is because God asks us to bless others with it. And so the person with the gift of giving has the right attitude. They give with perception. They recognize the need. And thirdly, they give with a spirit of self-sacrifice, a spirit of self-sacrifice. They often give like the Philippians gave, according to their ability and beyond their ability. They give of their own accord. And so these are really the keys to understanding this gift, giving with the right attitude, with perceptiveness, recognizing the need, and sometimes, but not every time, it's sacrificial. And so the supernatural di dimension of the gift is, is evident. The spiritual gift of giving is undoubtedly at work. So, so I have just five questions to help you affirm whether you have the gift of giving. These are questions you can ask yourself. Do I feel moved to give when confronted with financial needs in God's kingdom? Am I willing to have a lower standard of living in order to benefit God's work with my finances? Do I have a conviction that all I have belongs to God and I want to be a good steward for the sake of his kingdom? Fourthly, do I freely and joyfully give of my resources because I love God? And lastly, this is maybe two questions in one. Do my giving records show that I give more than 10% of my income to the Lord's work? And then lastly, does my checkbook reflect my priority and stewardship of all that God has given to me. Now when we come to the third one this morning, the, the gift of craftsmanship and artistry, we don't find it in the New Testament. We have to go over to the Old Testament. In fact, back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 31, the third verse. The third verse of Exodus. Did I say Genesis? Exodus. Exodus. Second book. Exodus chapter 31. In the 31st chapter of Exodus, the Lord is speaking to Moses about how the tabernacle is to be built. And he asked Moses to contact a man by the name of Bezalel. Bezalel. And then in verse 3 of Exodus chapter 31, the Lord described Bezalel to Moses. It says in verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. These are gifts from the Holy Spirit. These are spiritual gifts. This is a man filled with God's Spirit in order to do what? We see it in verse 4. To make artistic, artistic designs for the work in gold, in silver, and in bronze. 
A man who has such a gift today would be called a silversmith or a coppersmith or a goldsmith. He is an artist who expresses his gift by working in metal. And a second way to use this gift in building the tabernacle, we, the temple, the tabernacle, we see in verse 5, and in the cutting of stones. Today we call these men stonemasons. In Jesus' day, they were called tectons. Tecton in the Greek. We get the word technology and tech from it. Joseph, the husband of Mary, we are told, was a tecton. A tecton. It's usually translated carpenter. But Joseph, more than likely, worked also in stone. He was a stonemason as well as, uh, as a carpenter. And so in uh, verse 5, it says, goes on, in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. Verse 6, and behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all who are skillful I have put skill that they may make all that I commanded you. The tent of meeting, the architect of the testimony, the mercy seat upon it, and all the furniture of the tent, the table also and its utensils, and the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense, the altar burnt offering also with all its utensils, and the laver and the stand, and the woven garments as well, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons with which to carry on their priesthood, the anointing oil also, and the fragrant incense for the holy place, they are to make them according to all that I have commanded you. Verse 4 said they are to make artistic designs. Verse 10 says they are to make the woven garments. And so with the gift of craftsmanship and the arts today, we'd have people who are dressmakers and tailors, artists and sculptors, designers, cabinet makers, carpenters, embroidery, furniture makers, upholsters, like my dad, architects and engineers. Another kind of stone work is that of a jeweler. Only skillful hands can guarantee success in cutting valuable diamonds or other precious stone. So here's the definition of the gift of craftsmanship and artistry. The gift of craftsmanship and artistry, the special ability to forward God's kingdom through creative skills such as carpentry, drama, graphic arts, painting, and sculpting. This gift provides the believer with the skill of creating artistic expression that produce, expressions that produce a spiritual response of strength and inspiration. Now, you might wonder how the gift of craftsmanship can be used in the church for the common good of the body. Well, we begin by just looking around the building, the design of the building, the, the furniture that is built, the, the cabinets, uh, to the banners that are, are hanging around the building, to those who, who decorate. If you have the gift of craftsmanship and artistry, you can use it in a multiple ways to bless the church and other Christians. Even though some of those who do maintenance work around the property often do it with a sense of, of artistry and beauty. Some of the things that gardeners do these days is just remarkable. And I'm amazed at the number of people who make their own greeting cards and sympathy cards. Each one is a work of art, and there's actually artists who will, each, each card they send out, they have actually painted that in watercolor or drawing, and uh, each uh, card is an original work of art. And then there's all the crafty things that people make this time of year, and, and uh, which we decorate for Thanksgiving and Christmas. If craftsmanship is your gift, there are endless ways that you can bless other people. You can use it to develop relationships between you and a neighbor. 
or to help someone in need. If you have the ability to sew, have you considered making clothes for a neighbor or a friend or somebody you know whose children are in need of, of new clothes? Or how about giving someone something you have made with your hands? I, I know two men in Emmett who have blessed dozens of other people over the years with their woodworking skills and the things that they, they make. So you don't have the gift of evangelism or hospitality? Your gift of craftsmanship can open the door to help you eventually tell somebody about Jesus Christ. And so there's really two aspects of this giftedness. There's inspiration, and then there is skill. A person with a gift of, will probably have a creative bent. They enjoy innovating, designing, making new things. And this will seem quite natural. But the gift may also direct itself in fine-skilled craftsmanship. One might find things such as embroidery or furniture making or, or cabinetry. And with these abilities and skills, when they're directed towards God, in other words, all that we do, we do for the glory of God, then they fulfill their purpose as a spiritual gift. Now, with a lot of the gifts we've talked about, okay, there's something that you need to know if you have this gift, especially if you have the artistic gift as an artist. Because artistic giftedness, like all of our other gifts, we grow and we learn and we need to be trained. And particularly in art, we need to be trained and we need to be tamed and we need to be channeled in our art. In other words, in order to use it for the Lord's work, like all the other gifts, the artist must be teachable. And so classes of instruction to help bring out the artistry from within will sharpen skills and heighten creativity. And while being creative to God requires listening to him who gave you the gift, inspiration from God is really the best inspiration of all, especially when you're engaged in bringing him glory. And so like all the other gifts, you know, it's just really a neat thing to get into God's word and do a study of this. And through prayer and meditating on God's word, you can really count on God to set your imagination free. So I want to close with this. Our God is the great creator. He's a creator. He created the heavens and the earth and everything within. God loves to create. Do you think God still creates? I believe so. I think, in fact, when Jesus fed the 5,000 <laughs> with just a few loaves and some, some fish, I, I'd like to be the close-up, you know. If he said, you know, nothing up my sleeve, don't wash my hands. But I would just love to see fish being created in the hands of the Creator and bread being created, created in the hands of, of the Creator. God loves to create, and we know that each one of us are created in His image. And thus we too, whether we have the gift or just because we're creating God's image, we love to create. But for some, God has given a larger measure of creative ability. And we recognize this as a spiritual gift, a spiritual gift of craftsmanship or artistry. The gift of craftsmanship and artistry is a clear reflection of God, the Creator. I remember a couple of years ago when Jan and I were judging the art projects over at the Iwana Expedition one year. The theme verse for that year was Genesis 1.1. And their artistic and the things that they made had to be according to that, screen, that theme verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I thought this was so cool because as we were making notes and making comments about their pieces of art, I told each one of them 
that as a young artist in doing art, in a wonderful way, you're reflecting your God, your creator. Because we are made in his image. And we are made to use it for his glory. And creativity is an amazing phenomenon. Oftentimes the artist or the craftsman does not know exactly where he or she is going in the act of creation. There's a germ of an idea. There's a thought that goes here and there and then I'll go there. And then, then there's a knowledge of just a certain touch that just makes it just perfect. A little detail attended to and then perhaps there's a great flourish in the right place. And it could be art, it could be design, it could be dance. And most anything, the creative process is the same. Inspiration begins the project, and inspiration moves it along, and then it's a great adventure. And then I thought of this, you know, going back to the gift of music, which is also creative, of Johann Sebastian Bach. You know, the great creative mind, his composed the things that he's composed as as a musician. And he wrote this. The aim and final end of all music, talking about music, and we could say the same thing about art, should be none other than the glory of God, the refreshment of the soul. To the glory of God, to the refreshment of the soul. And it's the same with art. And, And Bach put three initials down at the bottom of every piece of music he wrote. S, D, G. SDG, well, it doesn't sound like Bach, doesn't sound like his initials. That stands for Soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Whatever you create, do all for the glory of God. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have gifted some of us in our congregation, Lord, and and others with these marvelous gifts. And as we Go into the holiday and continue in the holiday season, Father. We thank you for the great gift that they are to the rest of us in the way that they bless us, either in giving or doing something for us or creating something that, that, that we can enjoy, Father. And Father, now as we go to the table of the Lord, Father, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds as we take this time to remember our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.